obey His word, then we walk in the light. If we say that we know Him, but we don't keep His word, then we walk in the darkness, and the truth's not Wednesday morning already. Hard to believe it is already Wednesday. You say, why are you saying Wednesday? Is that how it looks in phonics? Wednesday. <clears throat> but it's Wednesday, and uh, we are in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. We did a part of the chapter yesterday, the warnings part, uh, and today we go a little further in, in how we ought to live. We Yesterday was don't do the things that they did. Uh, and today it is rather here's what you should do and how you ought to live. <clears throat> Verse chapter 11 of First Corinthians 10 says, These things, everything we looked at yesterday, happened to them as examples and are written down as warnings for us on whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. Now, what I want to just highlight there, I mean, if, if you weren't with us yesterday or you didn't listen to yesterday's broadcast, if you didn't listen to part one, then you can read the preceding 10 verses and see what I had to say. I talked about Israel and all the things that they did and their, their blunders along the way and written as examples for us. God provided for them. God took care of them. And yet they continued to turn to idols and they continued in, in promiscuous revelry and, and all these different things. And he says to us, don't do these things. So, Verse 11, these things happen to them as examples written down for us on whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. Now, we look at that phrase, fulfillment of the ages has come, and we say, okay, that, that's that's a, a very interesting way to put that. So why, uh, why that way? Well, I mean, we're in what is the church age? The fulfillment of the ages has to do with the fact that Messiah has come. That, that is the fulfillment of the ages. I mean, all of creation was waiting to to see 
Messiah uh, presented. All of creation was waiting to see Messiah uh, brought forth uh, to see his work. Something just happened here. Uh, but anyway, hopefully you, you can see uh, what's any any comments that are there. Um, but let me just keep going here. Uh, the fulfillment of the ages is bound up in Jesus. It says, so if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. I mean, sometimes we think, hey, we're, we're solid. Uh, we're good to go. That that would never, ever, ever happen to me. But the reality of the matter is, any of us can fall at any time. Now, there are different temptations that seize different ones of us. But you know what? Our confidence can't be in ourselves. Our confidence can't be in how good we're doing. Uh, because just the moment that you think, hey, I'm, I'm doing pretty good in my spiritual life, I have my devotions daily, you know, praying daily, uh, you know, avoiding sinful patterns, yada, yada, yada. Just the moment you start thinking that, bam, something's going to hit you. However, Paul addresses that here in verse 13 when he says, no temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so you can stand up under it. Let's put this in the uh, New Living Translation. Uh, to see how it renders verse 13, verse 12 and 13. If you think you're standing, be careful not to fall. <clears throat> the temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. God is faithful. He will not allow you the temptation. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. The question is, do we want to take the exit ramp? Uh, you know, it's just like driving somewhere. You ever drive somewhere and you're pretty convinced probably maybe you're going further than you're supposed to or you're thinking uh, maybe I missed my turn but you keep driving anyway uh, and even though there are turnarounds even though there are driveways uh, even though there's opportunities to turn around and go back and check things out oftentimes we keep driving God will provide the turnaround God will provide the way out God will provide uh, the opportunity to go back to safety God will provide the opportunity to help you get back where you're supposed to go. Question for all of us is, do we want to take that? And, and I, I like both what we read in the living, the New Living Translation here, as well as the NIV 84, which I frequently use. It says the temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. Now, others experience the same types of temptations. The NIV 84. Uh, stated it this way, uh, no temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And in some ways, I kind of like this this translation as well. It's just reminding us the temptations that you have or temptations other people face. So as believers, we can come alongside each other to encourage each other to overcome in our temptations. And... Uh, don't be surprised. I mean, sometimes Christians act like, oh, you're tempted by that? Wait a minute. Jesus was tempted by everything as are we. It doesn't just say tempted by what your temptations are, but whatever temptations there may have been that 
that uh, mankind could experience, that the scriptures indicate that at least the force and the weight of temptation Jesus faced, if not even the very temptation itself. So you can fill in the blank, uh, the temptation to gamble, uh, the temptation perhaps to escape into drunkenness, Uh, the temptation that that comes with pride, the temptation that comes with uh, a sense of insecurity, uh, the temptation that comes with, I mean, there were situations in Jesus' life that could have left him feeling insecure, Uh, the the temptation that comes with pleasure, uh, all these different things. So whatever the temptation, don't be surprised, friends, by the temptations that different people will face. Don't be surprised by the temptations that you will face. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. Now, uh, if I really wanted to be bold, and uh, and if this weren't a public forum, if we were gathered at my table uh, privately, I might say, okay, well, let's, let's go around the table and talk about our temptations. Let's go around the table and talk about what really, uh, you know, what what it is for you? Maybe it's the temptation, something related to money. I mean, some people it's them the temptation to allow money to be your god, or some people related to money is the temptation to gamble. Um, other people, it can be the temptation of the tongue, uh, and and the things that we say that we ought not say, uh, uh, gossiping, slandering, malice, all kinds of different things that would come from the tongue. So that that could be it. Uh, the temptation of uh, unforgiveness or or bitterness or hatred. Those are all temptations. Those are all sinful things. The temptation of lust. Uh, the uh, temptation of um, covetousness. Uh, similar to lust, but covetousness perhaps having more to do with, with people's possessions. Uh, and, uh, you know, whether it's our somebody else's possession or what you can... Uh, look at on an auto uh, automobile dealer's parking lot. I mean, there, there are all those. Things. What are the temptations? No temptation has seized you except what is common to man, and God is faithful. He will not be let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, will provide a way out so you can stand up underneath it, so you can bear it, or so you can escape it. There, there's different ways of putting this. In fact, let me uh, put that verse in the message, and let's see how Eugene Peterson rendered that in his paraphrase. Yesterday we concluded in verse 12 uh, with this, which says a lot more, uh, there's more verbiage to this than uh, the the actual translations, don't be naive and self-confident, you're not exempt, you can fall flat on your face as easily as anyone else, yep, Uh, forget about self-confidence, it's useless, cultivate God confidence. And he says, no test or temptation that comes your way is beyond the course of what others have had to face. Okay, uh, We can say, nobody knows what I'm going through. Oh, yes, they do. Jesus knows, and, and there's probably other people who know. Uh, he says this, all you need to remember is that God will never let you down. He'll never let you be pushed past your limit. He'll always be there to help you come through it. God is there, and uh, God is able to enable us to come through it. Verse 14, since we're in the message, I'll stay there. So, my very dear friends, when you see people reducing God to something they can use or control, get out of their company as fast as you can. I assume I'm addressing believers now who are mature. 
draw your own conclusion. And, and let me get back over to the NIV 84, and we will work from a translation and not the paraphrase. Uh, he says in verse 14, Therefore, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. Whatever the idolatry might be, we are told to flee from it. He says, I, I believe I'm speaking to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? In other words, he's talking about communion. Is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? I mean, this is Christ whom we are regarding, Christ whom we are remembering uh, when we have this cup of thanksgiving. Does that not give a little bit different of a nuance to the upcoming holiday of thanksgiving? Uh, the cup of Thanksgiving, to actually have communion as a part of our Thanksgiving uh, traditions and celebrations because it is Christ above all, Christ behind all, Christ in front of all, Christ beneath all, Christ within all, all focused on Christ. And so to remember that it is the blood, it is the body of Christ that we are uh, that we are remembering. Uh says, because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body. We all partake of the one loaf. We all partake of Christ. Consider the people of Israel. Do not those who eat the sacrifices participate in the altar? He's talking about uh, the priests. Do I mean that a sacrifice offered to an idol is anything? Uh, or that an idol is anything? No. Sacrifices offered to idols are meaningless. Uh, an idol is meaningless. He says, no, but the sacrifices of pagans are offered to demons, not to God. And I do not want you to participate with demons. But it isn't only uh, a uh, an object. It isn't only a piece of silver or wood or clay or gold or whatever other type of um, element it may be. Uh, however, the spiritual force behind all of that is demonic. Demons are real. I don't know if you believe in demons. I believe in demons. I believe they're real. I believe in the holy angels. I believe in the wicked angels. Uh, I believe in in that dimension of the spiritual. And uh, I, I believe probably most of you who are listening live with me at this hour also believe in the, that realm of the spiritual things and uh, of God, unseen of the angels unseen the holy angels unseen the wicked angels unseen and and we begin offering things to idols uh, that, that is driven by demonic forces and so therefore stay away from it there are some who want to do what it says in verse 21 you cannot drink the cup of the lord and the cup of demons too you cannot have both part in the lord's table and the table of demons and so we should not be running off to uh uh, fortune tellers. Uh, we should not, in fact, the scriptures expressly forbid that. Uh, we should not be going off to uh, seances. Uh, those things are all demonically driven, friends, driven by demons. Um, it, it's syncretistic to bring the things of God together with, with the things of demons. And yet there are many people who live religiously that way holding on to idols and holding on to burying things that have no power uh, whatsoever. Christ, Christ alone has power. Christ, God the Father, God the uh, the Holy Spirit has power. Now, demons also have power, 
Uh, and this is what Paul is warning of here, to be careful to not open yourself to demonic forces and to demonic things around uh, that can have significant influence in your life. Do not participate in both. Do not participate in the Lord's table and the table of demons. Are we trying to arouse the Lord's jealousy? And, and the Lord is jealous for his people. He is jealous that we be his followers. He is jealous that we walk after him. He's jealous that uh, you know our, our sole allegiance is to him. Uh, he is jealous. He is jealous. And he is he is perfectly right in being jealous. Some would say, well, aren't we told that we're not supposed to be jealous? Well, how come God can be jealous? That just doesn't make any sense that that that, uh, uh, that we're told that we can't be jealous, and yet we're also told that God can be jealous because he knows all things. He has created all things. All things are in his hands. He, he holds all things together, and for that reason, he alone is entitled to this type of holy jealousy for people's affection and for people's attention, for people's love, for people's adulation, for people's adoration, for, for people's worship. He is worthy of all of those things. And so it is perfectly, absolutely, entirely uh, reasonable that God would be allowed to be jealous. So what do we do? What does Paul write here going down? And it says everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Uh, everything is permissible, but not everything is constructive. In other words, he's saying, look, if you get caught up in something, if you do something, it may be permissible, but maybe it's not good for you. It might not be beneficial to do that. It might not be constructive to do whatever that permission might allow you to do. Verse 24 says, nobody should seek his own good but the good of others. And, and sometimes the things we opt to do, I'll I give you an example. I see so many Christians, and, and you already know I am not a teetotaler. You already know that, that my personal conviction based on the study of Scripture is that drinking is not a wrong thing. It's not sinful drunkenness. That's another story. Uh, being controlled by alcohol, that's another story. Some of you have grown up with alcoholics, or some of you have been maybe married to an alcoholic, or I mean that that is a different story. Uh, just wanting to clarify that. So while you may have freedom to drink, it may not be too constructive uh, in the household. Uh, it, it could be financially uh, destructive, in fact, because drinking is very uh, very expensive thing to do. Uh, I've already told you the story before about the couple I counseled one time and realized they were smoking and drinking about $700 a month out of their uh, out of their cash flow. And when I pointed that out, they gave up smoking and drinking, and they no longer had financial trouble. Wasn't constructive. Uh, did it seem to affect them in, in other negative ways that was obvious? I mean, they were loving people, helpful people, giving people. Uh, they'd become Christian people. Uh, uh, they were worshiping people. They were praying people. They were, I mean, all kinds of things. But, but the things they were involved with was not constructive. Now, let me go back down to Facebook. Um, I see sometimes Christians have to post their 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 beverage on Facebook, and uh, so 
Christians being uh, on Facebook and posting their alcoholic drinks because they're t- trying to tout their liberties, I guess. Uh, maybe it's time that we, we, we as Christians, start posting uh, pictures of ourselves sitting across from somebody with an open Bible. How about that? Let's start a movement of, of a picture. Have your open Bible on your table and... Um, Take a picture of that and post that to Facebook every day instead of instead of your uh, momito or whatever daiquiri or whatever other type of drink it might be. Post that type of picture on uh, on Facebook. That would be something that I think would be constructive. I'm using the example here of things that are maybe not constructive, like Christians touting all their liberties like that. Verse 24 says, nobody should seek his own good, but the good of others. Uh, Eat anything sold in the meat market without raising questions of conscience. In other words, just a piece of meat. Uh, For the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. If some unbeliever invites you to eat a meal and you want to go, eat whatever is put before you without raising questions of conscience. Don't go, you know, was this this, uh, meat offered to idols? Some Christians would say, I can't eat it. Now, for me, I'd go, okay, this is a nice piece of filet mignon, and I, I would eat that without regard because I regard uh, idols as nothing. And uh, so I, I would eat. But if the person goes on, and this is what Paul says, if they say to you, uh, this has been offered in a sacrifice, then do not eat it, both for the sake of the man who told you and for conscience sake. The other man's conscience, I mean, not yours. Uh, your conscience might perfectly have perfect liberty to go i don't recognize demon or an an idol as anything this is just a piece of meat however the other person is thinking okay so you have some regard for idols Uh, why should my freedom be judged by another's conscience if i take part in the meal with thankfulness why am i denounced because of something i thank god for he says this in verse 31 and this really gets to the heart of it and i do see a question there that i want to come back and try to deal with it is over on the youtube side so some of you on facebook may not be seeing that he says uh if i take part in a meal with thankfulness why am i denounced because it's something i thank god for so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do do it all to the glory of god so in whatever you're doing thinking how does this glorify god do not cause anyone to stumble whether jews greeks or the church of god even as I try to please everybody in every way, for I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many so that they may be saved. We need to give consideration to other people and the impact of our choices on other people and, and, and making sure that everything we do is pointing other people to Christ. That should be the goal. Now, there is a question, and again, it is posted on the YouTube side, Question is this, Jim, do Catholics who believe in the rosary and statues like Mary, are, is Mary controlled by demons? And the question is asked again, is the rosary an idol? What about Mary? Uh, I, I have many Catholic friends whom I love and Catholic friends whom I believe really love Jesus. And uh, I would believe that because of their love for Jesus that they are genuinely saved. I have many Catholic friends who are much more devout and devoted to to spiritual disciplines than, than many Protestants are. I, rather than just saying Baptists, I'll say Protestants. And there's something 
to be said for the level of uh, spiritual discipline that is carried over uh, in their lives. However, there is no indication uh, in the New Testament uh, for Mary being remembered as anything more than the mother of Jesus. Uh, She is notable because of that. Nowhere in the New Testament does it say that we should pray to Mary. Uh, Nowhere uh, in the New Testament is there mention of of things like a rosary. Uh, It's not there. Now, I want to say I'm not one that likes to to go after Catholics. I, I know some Protestants and some uh, evangelical preachers just just love to go after Catholics. Uh, so I, I want to say that. I, I love my Catholic friends um, and ones that I, I know really uh, love Jesus uh, and are faithful in their prayers for people. However, uh, is Mary, are the statutes, statute, statutes controlled by demons? Um, Paul seems to give indication that there is a possibility of that, uh, right here in this passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Uh, we are to pray to nobody uh, but Jesus. I, I don't know, uh, the praying to saints, I, I don't know where that comes into play. Uh, now, I, I would probably do well to read the Catholic version of the Bible that includes some of the uh, apocryphal literature. However, most of that is written more in a New Testament era, pre, uh, I'm sorry, in an Old Testament era, pre-New Testament. Uh, Much of what is included in the Catholic Bible, the few extra books, what is there, 68 books uh, in a Catholic Bible, uh, where there are 66 in a Protestant Bible. Uh, But I would say that I I think that there are people who hold on to to, to saints, who hold on to little, little, Statues they put in their car or hang from their visor uh, or hold on to Mary. We are told to hold on to none but Jesus, uh, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Uh, he is our confidence. He alone is our confidence. Uh, I do think that there is room here in First Corinthians 10 uh Again, this is not a, a road I normally go down, but because the question is being asked, I'm given my answer. I think that there is certainly room being given from what we just read here in 1 Corinthians 10 that um, could many of the statues, especially if we're praying to statues, uh, no, nowhere, again, nowhere in the New Testament do we read that we're to pray to anybody but God. Uh, Mary is not God. Mary is a, a human being like us. The only thing that was different about Mary is is her impregnation, which came about by the work of the Holy Spirit. She is flesh just like us, born of man and woman just like us, died a death just like us, loved her son just like us, uh, and so is held in, in regard as the mother of Jesus. Absolutely, no problem with that. But, but praying to to Mary uh, or praying to the, the various patron patron saints, I do believe that that could be demonically driven to cause us to take our eyes off of Jesus and to take the glory away from Jesus. Our dependence is upon the Lord. Now, again, I want to underscore this one last time. I have many Catholic friends that I love deeply. 
some that I've prayed together with whose prayers sometimes are much more um, engaged and much more intense than some Baptist people I've prayed with. But this is an area where I, I think that, that they go off script. This is an area where, uh, and, and I don't go about confronting this, but coming out of the passage that we're in today, uh, anything that we're looking at, save the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, there are some Protestants of, of the uh, Reformed tra- tradition, particularly uh, Presbyterians, uh, who do not think it's appropriate even to have a picture of Jesus. And they base that on uh, graven images out of the uh, Ten Commandments. So they they would not watch The Chosen would be an example. They would say you should have a picture of Jesus in your home. You shouldn't try to depict Jesus. Um, the, the, depicting the, the apostles or the Old Testament characters, that's fine, but not Jesus. Uh, that That is the position that, that they hold based upon have no graven image. Uh, one of the great... Uh, Highly respected scholars is named J.I. Packer, and uh, uh, you can look up his book, uh, "Knowing is it Knowing God." I think that was the the title of, of his most classic book. Uh, and he takes the position to not have pictures, to not make movies represent Jesus. That that crosses the line. That is that is their position, even about Jesus. So I hope that I've answered the question. It's something I would encourage you if if you are Catholic to wrestle through, to wrestle through a passage like this, to wrestle through all the places in the Old Testament that deal with idols. Uh, and what do we do with those? Uh, again, I hope that's helpful. Uh, it may cause struggle uh, for you, uh, my friend, but uh, I, I, it would be a good struggle, a healthy struggle, an appropriate struggle, to struggle with, with this particular issue before the Lord to make sure that your allegiance and your reliance is on Christ alone. Well, we're at the end of the time, and uh, we've filled this half hour, so I, I do want to let you get into your day. Uh, Lord, help us today to uh, do all that we do for the glory of God, uh, that we would glorify you, that we would, uh, in how we eat and how we treat people and our words and our language, our Facebook postings and everything, Lord, help us today to live for the glory and honor of Jesus. And Lord, we pray again today for the peace of Jerusalem. Uh, we pray for the Middle East. Uh, we, we understand that what's going on could be the setting of the world stage for what is to come. We, we understand that. But nonetheless, we do pray for your people, Israel, today. Lord, hear our prayer. Set the hostages free. Stop the fighting. Protect the innocents. That is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, have a great day. I'll see you tomorrow.